Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. morning everyone welcome to church this morning if we haven't met my name's ben and this is ross morning ben hello ross how are you this morning good thank you uh good just making sure your mic was on for me yep. i think i'm on you're on um so just wanted to say how good is it to gather this morning particularly that song and think about our future there is a little bit going on in our world this morning, I think we're all aware of that. Later on in the service, we'll be praying for both the floods and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. But let's begin by talking about what's going on in our church. This is the time we talk about that. So first and foremost, if you've got a service sheet on your way in, I want to point you to that. There is a little bit on the back of that to point you to. And we've got something that you might see around uh, church this morning. The orange posters around a hospitality month. I'm excited about Hospitality Month, in fact, favourite month of the year. I know it's the first time, well, we did a little bit last year. This year we've stepped it up. Uh, I love hospitality because I love getting together with other people. I love the idea of getting together with people around food. So yeah. it's tick, tick. Well, March is your birthday as well. Yeah, so I'll have to book that in. So it's half party. birthday month, half hospitality month. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go to everybody's places. Yeah. So, uh, if yeah, you have Ross, boy. you've got to bring him a present. That's... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so That's what we want to point out is not just... It's really awkward in relation to the sermon I'm about to preach to, yeah, by the good, way. You'll good, get it later. Good. Yeah. Uh, so what we want to point out, though, so there's a QR code on the back of your service sheet. If you're wondering what this month is all about, or if you want to have a meal somewhere, head to that QR yeah, code. Yeah, so tell us about it. So we've got Hospitality Month. It's not just, hey, try and catch up with someone, but we're actually trying to facilitate that and trying to help you to organise. How do you meet people, particularly, what does hospitality mean, Ben? Yeah. In the Greek, it means... Yeah, you're asking me that. I'm pretty sure it means something like greeting a stranger. Loving the stranger. Loving the stranger, yeah, yeah. all close. So the idea of hospitality is you're not just having your friends over that you already know, but you're meeting other people. Now, that might be an actual stranger, or it might be someone that you've seen for the last seven years at church that you know their name and you know where they sit, but you don't actually know anything about them. Even if you don't know their name. Yeah, even if you, you don't know, know their, their name. face. Yeah, now, yeah. The way, so how do we do it? What's the steps? Yeah, the way that we can do this. So if you've got the QR code there, you can head along to a website where you will see both, well, you'll see a bunch of things. Can I just walk it through? So yeah. you click on the QR code. It takes you to a thing called the coffee addict or something. Yeah. And you go, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ignore the web page. It takes you to the right space. And it says two numbers on it on the yeah. top because we want to count. How are we going with hospitality? What are the two numbers? <laughs> Uh, the two numbers. We're aiming for 300 meals in 31 days. Is what we're, Sorry, 300 people to a meal in 31 days. Is that right? That's right. Is so we've got a counter at the top. How are we going at Southside at practicing hospitality? So we're going to do it through the web. Do you want to ask me the questions? And yeah, then maybe. Yeah. So what do you do if you want to host a meal, right? If you want to host a meal, you go to the website. You can even do it now while I'm talking if you want. And at the top it says, do you want to host a meal? So you go, yeah, let's do it. Let's have people over. I can do a barbecue out the back. So you go host a meal. You put in, hey, um, uh, barbecue um, Sunday afternoon at our place, yeah. the Wilsons. And um, actually, I'll give you a real example. Um, <laughs> lunch, barbecue lunch at a park um, after church. Yeah. Not next Sunday, the Sunday after. Yeah. So I, I want to organise that. So I go, and then you've got to ask how many people can come. I'm going to say, how many people do I want to see at the park? Because it's a BYO lunch, I don't have to cater for it. So I'm going to go, 100? All you guys coming yeah. to my, barbecue, my but it's BYO, BYO lunch at the park in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so you put that information in and it goes up on the website. So then the next person comes along and says, hey, look, um, I'd like to hang out with somebody. It's Sunday, let's go for the family. I go, oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of options here. I can go to somebody's house that's having a, having a um, barbecue and a swim in the pool. I can hang out at the park. Yeah. That'll be so much more fun. Let's go to Ross's instead of all the others. Yeah. So then they, there's even a spot to tick. There's 100 spots. I've got a family of 12. A hundred. <laughs> So you can just put in your details, say, I'm going. And that way we're not overbooking, 
we've got how many seats are going. So let me recap that. If you want to host, you go to the website and you put in your details and how many people you want to host. If you want to attend, go to the website. If you want to have lunch or dinner or whatever you've got going on at the park, you go to the website and you can attend that. And we'd love to say too that if you've even pre-organized something and you want to meet some people at church that you've always wanted to have over and you do that in March, head to the website, chuck your details in because we want to reach 300 people across 31 days. It's actually an excuse to invite people. Yeah. To say, don't, don't just wait to for people to discover it, but actually say, I'm having a barbecue at my place. Why don't you join up? Can you just do it through the app so I don't overbook myself and things like that? Yeah. The other thing I like about the, um, the web page is that it's, a bit, it's enough information to uh, tell you who, who's hosting and what suburb. But when you do, the process, when you do sign up for it, uh, the host will get an email from... Uh, with your contact details, and they'll contact with you with, hey, can you bring this, or can you make sure you bring swimmers, or yep. umbrella. Um, all of your details will be needed. So it, all your details, but it's not public, it yep. just goes to the host, cool. and then you can work out what to do and bring. Awesome. So this is, I think this is exciting. We want to outdo one another uh, in this. We want to get to 331 days. I'm excited by that. I think we can do that. Uh, and so head to that QR code. That's your main source of information there. So if you're wanting to hang out, whatever, go to that website and do that over March. And we're really excited to see how that goes in March. Okay, cool. So that's on the back of your service sheet. Now, a couple of other things we'd like to point out just quickly. So we started Alpha on Tuesday night. Alpha is an amazing place to come and go on the journey to discover Jesus. It was great the first week. Yeah, how'd you go? Yeah, tell us. it was an awesome week. We had three people who are looking to see what Jesus is all about and joined us on that journey. It's not too late. If you've got people in mind or if you want to join us on this Tuesday night, you missed dinner, but we'll have dessert for you on Tuesday night. So it's not too late. It's not too late to come along. Uh, the next one, Ross, we've got uh, upstairs here. If you're not familiar with this, uh, upstairs on our mezzanine floor, there is a bunch of... Can I just say we're releasing a big secret here? Yeah, if you didn't know, know this. If you didn't so, know, you might feel like you're on the outer. There's basically so. an arcade up there, okay? There is Daytona and a pin, ping, pinball machine and a ping pong table, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we have enjoyed that place for a long time, but we do just want to say on a Sunday there are some boundaries. We just need to make it a bit more structured. Who's it for? What's the purpose of it? And yeah. how do we not let it get out of control? Cool. So what do we need to do? So uh, on Sundays, the upstairs area opens at 10.30. So not before 10.30, it opens at 10.30 for grade sixes and above. So if you're under grade six, then you'll have to wait until you're in grade six for that area. So is what you're saying is primarily a youth hangout space. That's right. That's right. Even more reason to join our youth here at Southside or get to grade six. So if you're not in grade six yet... Maybe see what you can do, and if you can jump a few grades at school for the Daytona, area upstairs. It's worth it. That's right. So even if your parents supervise or whatever, we're just saying from grade six and above up there. Now, particularly today, because we've had more rain than a long time, today after the service, the kids' church area will be open to play around with if you're under that, that age. So if you're crash up to grade five, you're not going to miss out. You can play in that kids church area for both uh, those kids who are here today that's right there is yeah, for the for the two of you who are here today there is a couple of other things i want to point you to the back of your service sheet there please have a look at that we do have uh coffee after the service if you're new or visiting there's a free coffee for you but right now we are going to take a break in our service where the kids can go out to kids church and crash so if you're uh crash age kids you're upstairs for in our service together now and we're going to pray. And like I mentioned at the start, we're going to pray for the floods going on at the moment. And then we're going to pray for the uh, war in Ukraine. Um, and sometimes when I find it hard to pray, I think um, God has given us words to say from the Psalms, which are so powerful. So this morning uh, for the floods, I'm going to kind of pray through Psalm 93. And then we're going to swap to Ukraine and Russia and we'll pray through Psalm 33. So if you're wanting prayers to help you in this, Psalm 93 and Psalm 33, I think are helpful for us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you because you reign and rule over all things. God, you are robed in majesty and armed with strength. 
And the whole world is established and firm and secure because your throne is established and firm and secure. Lord, you have been sovereign from all eternity. Lord, as we look around us, the seas have lifted up. The seas have lifted up their voice. The floods have risen up their pounding waves. And when we look at the waves and the floods around us, it does fill us with fear. But mightier than the thunder of great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord is high and mighty. And so, God, we pray to you now in the middle of this and ask that in your power and in your might, you would bring safety. We pray, Lord, that you would stop the floods, that you would hold back the rain, and that you would comfort those right now who are dealing with the consequences of that. Father, we pray that you would comfort those who are hurting and care for those who are suffering. Father, our hearts in this moment too go to what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. And Lord, in these moments, we turn to Psalm 33 and we pray these words, Lord. We praise you for you are upright and good. We praise you for you are faithful in all you do. We praise you for the world is full of your love. By your word, the world was made. You control everything. Whether the stars in the sky or the waters of the seas, all is yours. The whole earth should fear you, for you spoke and the world was created. Father, as we come before you in this present moment, we pray for what's happening in Ukraine and between Ukraine and Russia particularly. We turn to you in this moment with this burden because you, Lord, foil the plans of the nations. You thwart the purposes of the peoples. Humans can try and lead and do whatever we want, and at times it appears like we are in control, and people can do whatever they want, but we can't and they can't. Only your plans stand firm forever. Only your purposes through all generations. Blessed are those whose God is the Lord, the people you chose for an inheritance. From heaven you look down and see all mankind. From your dwelling place you watch all who live on the earth. You form the hearts of all and you consider every single thing they do. You say, God, that no king is saved by the size of their army. Not Russia, nor Ukraine, nor any other country. No king is saved by their army. No warrior escapes by their great strength. A horse was a vain hope for deliverance. But now it's not a horse, it's armies or air forces or bombs or weapons or cyber attacks or whatever it is. All of that is a vain hope. Despite their great strength, they cannot save. No, but the eyes of the Lord, the power and authority, the affection of the Lord, these things are on those who fear Him. And those who hope is in your unfailing love, God, they will be delivered from death. They will be kept in all circumstances. So God, in a testing moment, when we know and feel and experience everything that is uncertain, we turn to you and we wait for you. We wait for your hope, for you are our help and our shield. And in you, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us and with your people right around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have our Bible reading now where we are going to read through Luke chapter 14, 1 to 14. We're continuing in our series, Meals with Jesus. And this is what God's Word says, picking up at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. 
When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take place, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, "Give this person your seat." Then, humiliated, you will have to take the le- the, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, and your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We are going through a series looking at uh, people who had meals with Jesus. And I think the exciting thing about that is they're real people uh, going through real issues in life. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that. And I hope that's our experience this morning. How about a pray that God might speak to us through his word now? Dear Father God, just thank you. Uh, for this morning. I thank you for wherever we are, we can gather and and draw near to you through your word. Thank you for the people here who's brave the weather, as we hear the thunder rolling in, reminded of what's going on outside, but also give give us the quietness and the awareness to listen to you carefully. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It never ceases to amaze me about how social circles work. Yeah, you know, the cliques and the friendship groups. And what really emphasised to me, and this might be your experience, is when we were back at high school. In high school, it was very clear where you fitted into your social circles. In my high school, I'll give you an example, because there was high school around when I was a teenager, all those years ago. I do remember it very clearly. There was the, the nerds who used to spend their lunch break up in the library and they, they were smart and they had to be respected in some sort of way but did you want to hang out with them? There was the sporty guys. They used to hang around near the handball courts or spend their lunch breaks out at the cricket nets. You might have guessed what, what group I was in. Uh, handball champion, three years running I might add, by the way. Um, and then there was the, what we called potheads because this was back in the 80s in Lismore, which is not far from Nimbin, and there was actually a corner designated unofficially in our playground where kids could go and smoke, and it wasn't always just smokes, you might say. Um, you had to fit into that crowd to sit with them, and then there were the cool kids area. You know, you had to wear the right clothes, say the right things, or be with the right people to be involved with the cool kids. You could not just walk into their area you would get stared down, you would get intimidated, and you would get um, forced to leave. There was all these cliques, there's all these uh, classes of people in a sense. Now, you might associate with this song Echo Smith had, uh, I wish that I could be like the cool kids, because all the cool kids, they seem to fit in. I wish that I could be like the cool kids, like the... I can see under your masks, I know you're mouthing it. You know the words, you know the song, because it actually strikes a chord with us, because it's not just cool kids in high school, it's actually all through uh, all ages. See, I went to my 20-year reunion a few years back, and the first hour or so, I was hanging out with people I hadn't seen for 20 years. It was great catching up. We're all adults now. We don't have to play these these social games anymore. So it was awesome to be able to catch up and reconnect with each other. And then we sat down for a dinner. And then looking across at who's sitting with who at the dinner, it struck me. We're all sitting in our groups again. We're all sitting in the same classes of people. And it struck me that, wow, we even do this as adults. And you might notice whether you're in the workplace or in the university, even in churches, that there's different classes, there's different um, types of people that all draw together and they rarely mix. And there is this kind of social pecking order that you try and aspire to be one of the cool kids one of the ones that fit in, one of the ones that are respected all the time, one of the ones that are admired. They never do anything wrong, they never stuff up, they always look cool and they're always looked up to. I want to be up the top. I don't want to be down the bottom. 
because people mock those down the bottom. Nobody listens to them. They're treated like a joke. Nobody wants to be down the bottom of the social circles. We all want to be at the top. And this has always been the case, even the case when Jesus turned up 2,000 years ago in a real time, in a real place, Roman Empire, the first century, uh, in a very religious culture in Israel, it was very clicky. There was very different class systems. You knew where you fitted in. And Jesus was confronted by this where-do-we-all-fit type culture. How do I aspire to be greater? Or how do I avoid being left out down the bottom? And Jesus confronts this straight up. He confronts it and turns the place upside down. Now, what he does is good news for those people who are struggling and striving but keep getting beaten down. But he also gives a message to those who are, think they're cooler than everybody else, who think they're at the top or at least deserve to be at the top. He has a message for them as well. But it's not just a message for those 2,000 years ago. It's actually super relevant for us here today of how he shakes up these social circles. So we catch up with Jesus. He's at a dinner and there's three conversations that happen over this dinner. And you might notice that usually when Jesus has a conversation, there's a teaching point. But at this time, he has a conversation and just leaves it hanging. Has another conversation and leaves it hanging. It's not till we get to the end of the third conversation. It all makes sense. So we're just going to work through each of these, these steps one at a time. And the first one, and this is Luke who's writing the, the gospel of Jesus, the stories about uh, what happened to Jesus. He tells the story and in the first verse he sets, he, he sets the scene. He lays the setting. It's on a Sabbath day, which just means it's a, a religious day for the religious people when we are in a religious setting uh, in this Israel where he's at. And it's, the Sabbath day means it's a day of rest. There's no work to be done on the Sabbath day. So it's going, dinner, good thing to do on a Sabbath day. And Jesus went to the house of a prominent Pharisee. Now, this is important because the Pharisees are the religious guys. But this guy is not just any Pharisee. He's not just any religious leader. He's a prominent one. He's well-known, well-respected. He's the top of the food chain. This is like the top dog of the Pharisees, of the religious world. He's well-respected, well-looked um, up to. And he's hosting a dinner, so he's, you're expecting all his mates. That, that These are the who's who in the Pharisee world in Israel. They hang out at the temple. They teach the law. They're the, they're the guys you respect in Israel. And this is his house with his guests, with Jesus there. And Jesus was being carefully watched. This is different to some of the stories we've heard in the past weeks where uh, Jesus gets invited and Jesus comes to teach. And when he teaches, we've even heard people sit at his feet to teach. These guys are not sitting at Jesus' feet. They're not waiting for Jesus to teach them something. They're watching him. Because they're the religious leaders and they're being threatened by Jesus. They're waiting for him to stuff up. This is like Jesus walking into the high court with all the judges lined up just to see if he's legit, whether he's going to be taken down or, or honoured. The chances are, with the layout of this, he's going to be taken down. But there's also another interesting person who's there as well. Because there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Um, it's some sort of disability, we don't know exactly what it is, but he's suffering from it. He's in a bad way. And in this class system, you've got to ask, what's he doing there? What's he doing there? Luke's setting us up here, I think, that to, to show that Jesus is actually on trial here. Jesus is being set up by the Pharisees to be tricked up, caught out, so they can discredit Jesus. Because there's a few things that we've already known. Where it is, religious people. Not just any religious people. These guys are prominent religious people. When is it? The Sabbath. Don't work. You rest on the Sabbath. Who's there? The religious people like the judges and a guy with a disability. Disability in that culture was definitely frowned upon. It's like a, a Pharisee would never associate 
with someone with a disability. Certainly, uh, we're thankful today's culture is very different from that, but in that culture, it puts you in a particular class system. So there's questions about why is this guy there? Who, who invited this guy? Definitely not the Pharisee. He wouldn't want to associate with someone like that. But why would they want to trap Jesus? This is where the, the social status comes in. The Pharisees, being a prominent Pharisee, top dog, top of the food chain when it comes to uh, religious matters, well-respected, people come to them asking them questions. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. Now, Jesus is an immediate threat to them. And you know when you're in a circle and uh, some, everybody knows their pecking order and a new person comes into the circle and got to get, there's a bit of jostling to go, where do they fit in the pecking order of the social structures? Jesus come along claiming top position, I'm the son of God, and these guys feel threatened. If this guy is truly the son of God, we, we lose face, we lose our position. We're not top of the temple anymore. We get downgraded. So if we can discredit him, put him in his place, we save face. We save our identity. We save our pride. So they're setting Jesus up for a trap. You've got to remember the Pharisees, this group later on in the gospel, will be the ones that have Jesus arrested and put on trial and killed. They really don't like Jesus. But this situation we've kind of seen before as well. If you've been familiar with the gospels, Jesus has healed people. <clears throat> this is not a question, can Jesus heal someone? It's not even a question about healing on the Sabbath, really, because we've already seen Jesus has already healed people on the Sabbath. The difference is the crowd. Who's he with? He's sitting in the high court. The judges are lined up. Are you really going to do this in front of us? We know you can heal a guy, but will you do it on the Sabbath? when we know healing uh, somebody is helping somebody, helping somebody is work, and work you don't do on the Sabbath. According to their rules, that's a wrong thing to do. <clears throat> so Jesus asks them the question. You'd think it would be easy for Jesus just to heal him, move on. But Jesus turns the question around onto them. So he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So he puts a question onto them. Here's this guy, the suffering. Here's the religious leaders. Jesus asked them, what do you think I should do? Now this has got them, put them on the spot. It's actually swung everything around of who's on trial. Because if they say, um, no, you shouldn't heal because the law says that's work and you shouldn't be doing work on a Sabbath. So in a religious world, that is wrong and we're going to discredit you. But here's this guy who's suffering with a disability. They know, they all know Jesus can heal this guy if he wants to. So if they said, no, don't heal him, that's pretty cold-hearted, isn't it? It doesn't show much compassion at all, any compassion about that. And that's going to make them look bad. These cool kids of the religious world, they don't want to look bad. So they don't want to say, no, don't heal him. But if they say, well, so yeah, it is the right thing to do, heal him. Well, that actually goes against everything they stand for. They're the rules, guys. Religion means do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. So if they say, oh, yeah, on this occasion, let's bend the rules. Rules are there to be broken. It's like, no, these are the top guys that slap you down. Go, no, you can't say that. That would make them look bad if there's no rules or if the rules are rubbery. That would make them look bad. So they can't say no either. So what are they going to do? They can't say yes. They can't say no. Plan B, <laughs> silence. Let's not say anything. And there was silence. They didn't know how to answer. They couldn't answer because either way, it was going to make them look bad. And if you're one of the cool kids at the top, that's the worst thing you ever want. It's the biggest fear is to look bad. They're not going to do it. And Jesus, I like the way it says, so... Jesus just takes hold of the man, heals him and sends him on his way. Healing him is not the question. Everybody knows Jesus could heal him. Jesus just, thanks mate, you're healed. Uh, you can go now. <laughs> thanks very much. But Jesus then digs a bit deeper. Digs a bit deeper and asks them more questions. He says, 
puts up a scenario. If one of you has a child, you know, you love your children, or if you don't have a children, an ox or your favourite pet, something valuable to you, precious to you, and it falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Won't you save it? Now, if you're a parent and you've got children, especially young children, if you, the thought of seeing them drowning in a well, you're there. You'll do anything to save your kids. You'd love your kids. You'd say, it doesn't matter what day of the week is, you would want to save them. If you haven't got kids, your favourite dog, uh, your favourite animal, pet, um, falls into a well and is drowning, doesn't matter what day it is, you want to save it. People go to extraordinary lengths to save their pets no matter what day it is. So they want to say, yeah, we love our kids. We have compassion for our kids. We want to save our kids. But they can't answer yes because that would be breaking their rules. So they can't say yes and agree with Jesus because that would lose face. That would make them look bad. So they can't say, what if they said no? No, rules are rules. Saving a child, saving a pet, would mean work, and you can't work on the Sabbath, so no, would not do it. I mean, can you imagine how that looks? How cold-hearted, how lack of compassion that they would have. Could you imagine the conversations when they got home and their wives, like, what did you say you wouldn't save our kids? It's like, they're stuck, and they were looking bad again. So what do they do? Plan B, silence. Let's not say anything that's going to incriminate themselves. So silence again. Now, at this point, Jesus doesn't go into any teaching, but he's actually established something here that you guys are so proud. You guys think you're so cool that you don't want to look bad, even at the expense of saying you, you won't save your child. Being cool, looking good, is better than saying I love my child enough to, to save them. Their pride is above even their own children. Jesus just leaves it at that. He doesn't go any further at that. In fact, he brings up a new topic. First he says, you're not as cool as you think. Now he goes on, you're not as cool as you look. Because then you notice how the guests are picked pick places of honour at the table. Now, in our discussions, in our um, staff room, it was a little bit revealing how much older I am to the other staff because uh, table sitting etiquette is a lost art apparently. So I feel like I need to explain it to you because we don't practice it that much. And a good example is a formal setting. In a formal setting, we have unwritten rules about seating. So you go to something like a wedding, particularly a formal wedding. Uh, if you had a wedding in a church like this, you get the bride and groom up the front, bridal party up the front. They're important. You want them up the front. Who sits in the front rows? It's the family, immediate family, are right up the front. Then it's further distant family. Then as you go further back in the middle, it's, it's your friends and then your further distant friends. And it's who sits up the back? It's usually the sticky beaks, people who have just gone, oh, so-and-so's getting married today. They're stuck out, throw on some clothes and just turn up. It's very different. The people up the front are dressed up. They're ready for the occasion. They're the people of honour. It's what they're all about. People at the back, people as afterthought, throw on some half-decent clothes and turned up. But then you go to the wedding reception. And at the wedding reception, you have the head table. And the head table is the table of honour. You have the bride and groom. You have their closest friends in their bridal party. And then the next row of tables is usually the parents and the close family, usually the ones paying for the wedding, get the best seats at the front. And then it's, as you go back, it's the closer relatives, closer friends. By the time you get to the back, back table, it's your old friend you met at high school and your drunk uncle, you don't want him to be seen, you hide him up the back. It, there's, there's order. And like it or not, there is, you know where you fit in relationship to your friendship with the bride and groom. Now, what's really confusing is when you've gone to a wedding reception and there's no names on the tables and you kind of walk in there. You know the head table is there. And you've kind of got to work out where, where are you going to sit. So you go, well, I'm not family. I'm a close family. I shouldn't sit right at the front. And, 
I'm not an old school friend. Surely I'm a better friend than that. I don't want to sit right at the back. Let's grab a table somewhere in the middle. But then the awkwardness when the daggers come out, you realise there's family members who think they should be up the front and actually you're further up the front than them. So they're staring at you all night. Or you're at the back and you go, hang on, I, I'm at the back so I thought this is where I fit. But actually that, you know, where do they fit? They're sitting right up. So you give them daggers. There's this, where do we fit? It gives great joy when you're walking to a wedding reception and your names are on the table because somebody else is telling you, don't stress about it, this is where we want you to fit. Until you realise you're at the back end of the table with the old school friends and drunk uncle, that you realise, hang on a minute, surely I deserve to be further up the front. There's all these questions. Where do you fit in? But this table setting establishes your friendship, your relationship, the places of honour. So when Jesus says, oh, I notice where you guys are all sitting, I know you must be important, you're less important, and you, like, you're lucky to be here. He's not saying that. He's actually saying, I notice how the guests pick the places of honour. Seems like they're all striving to be up near the host. Host sits at the top of the table. He's a prominent Pharisee. He's important. Don't you want to sit next to him to show that you're important too? Don't you want to hear his conversations? Because it's at that end of the table. That's where the power and the influence is. So they all seem to be jostling to be top of the table, to be the most prominent with the host. Jesus observes this. And he goes, look, you're just not as cool as you think you are. Let me tell you a story. And he goes on. And he sets, set, lays the, the, the setting as the wedding. You go into a wedding banquet. There's no table settings. There's no uh, names on it. You've got to work out where to sit. He says, if, wouldn't it be bad if you go, hey, I want to sit next to the groom. The groom's at the top table. So I'm good mates with the groom, so I want to sit right beside the groom at the top table. But how embarrassing would it be if the host, the groom, said, actually, mate, I know you're a friend, but actually, he's my best friend, so I want you to leave somebody else takes the seat you wanted and you actually get put back with the old school friends and the drunk uncle. You get put back. How embarrassing would that be? For these religious cool kids, this is their greatest fear, being put down, embarrassed. This is like hell to them, to be embarrassed in front of everybody. And Jesus knows it and they know it and it's like, yeah, that would be bad. Yep, don't do that. But then Jesus says, wouldn't it be better? Why don't you sit at the back table? So when the host, or the, the groom, sees you sitting way back there, he says, no, you're my best friend. What are you doing sitting back there? Come and sit next to me. Come and sit at the top table. And then, then that person uh, is moved on. But you're honoured. Everybody goes, oh, wow, that's good. He's, he's good mates with the guy. It's affirmed. We can all see it. So Jesus saying, you're better off sitting at the bottom end of the table and get moved to the top. That would be more honourable. Now, I'd imagine the guy sitting at the table goes, yeah, yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Yeah, we know it. You know, have a bit of a laugh thinking about the scenario. But the question is, who would ever do that? Who would ever choose to sit at the bottom of a table? Nobody wants to talk to those guys. Those guys are lucky to even get an invitation, let alone the who's who. Who would choose to take the lower position? What Jesus is suggesting is just laughable, really. It's ridiculous. It's a good story, good moral, but no. No, they can't see it happening. But then Jesus does have a little further stab when he wraps up this story, looks them in the eye and says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This is not the story anymore. This is Jesus actually telling them, you guys... For all you guys who exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Actually, I'm going to turn the table around, literally. Those at the bottom end of the table will now be honoured at the head. And you guys think you're at the top of the table, you're going to be at the end. It's kind of a threat that Jesus is telling them. And it's kind of like he's not going to be winning too many friends at this point. He's actually making them angry. He says, you cool kids, you're going down. You're going down. It's a great dinner party, isn't it? You've invited your mates, you've invited Jesus, he's put them off, he's offended them, and now he's going to have a go at the host. 
at the host. He says, look, mate, are you too cool for school? You know what he means is, are you above everyone else? You know, too cool for school, you choose who you want to hang out with, who you don't want to hang out with. You, you actually consciously put people down to keep your, your status, to keep your pride, keep your face. Jesus says to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, he's going to have a go at his guest list with his guests listening. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. And this is, again, pushing in onto this social etiquette. You know, particularly in the first century, it's not about you and your achievements, it's about who you know give you, make you how successful you are if you're born into a, a wealthy family, if you're born into a, a business world, a family, if you've uh, made progress in the, if you know the who's who in the religious world, the Pharisees, it's who you know and it's who you rub shoulders with, literally, at a dinner. You want to be there, you want to be seen. It's a very public thing in the first century to be seen with people because that puts you in the right identity, puts you in the right place. That's why it was so shocking for people when people saw Jesus hanging out with the sinners, as in the tax collectors, the prostitutes and the thieves. It's like, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. It looks bad for you. That's the setting of the first century. But actually, when you think about it, our, our setting's not that different. We like being seen with the right people, the who's who. makes us look good. We don't want to be seen with the wrong people, but we like the right people. So it's not that different for us now. But he says those people are going to repay you. And you know how it works. When you get an invitation, hey, come to my place for dinner, it's usually, hey, what can we bring? We've got to bring something. We've got to repay something. We've got to contribute something. We've got to show we're worthy. Oh, look, bring a drink, bring um, some nibblies. Or don't bring anything at all usually means, oh, bring some chocolates, bring a gift. You've got to bring something to return the favour. Or even if it's not bringing something, it's actually, I will return the favour. You've invited me to my place. Uh, you've invited me to your place. Now I should, hey, let's do this together again sometime at our place. Come, let us show you hospitality. Somebody takes you out for a two-course meal. Oh, let's, let's take you out. But you've got to lift it to a three-course meal. It's like returning the faith. I've invited you, you invite me. This is how hospitality works. This is etiquette. But Jesus is saying, actually, forget all that. If you're just inviting people who are going to return the favour, you're doing the wrong thing. Actually, he says, but when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. It's like the biggest difference here, they're not just the lower class because you don't want to hang out with the lower class. They're, they're the guys. They've got no money. They can't do anything. They can't see anything. They can't walk. It's, it's like for them in first century, they're beggars. So what he's saying is invite a beggar to your house. Two things. It's going to make you look bad if you're full of pride, if you're too cool for school. It's going to make you look bad and they can't return the favour. What's a beggar, what's a guy living on the street going to bring for dinner? And are you going to risk eating it even if you did bring something? It's that sort of thing. Would you really do that? Makes you feel uncomfortable. And even for the beggar, or in this case, the, the outsider, the outcast, would they even accept the invitation? Because of that whole thing, what am I going to bring? They can't bring anything. They're not going to fit in. They're not going to. Who would pay for having these people at your meal? It's going to look bad. It's going to humiliate you. It's going to cost you. Who's going to pay for their seat? If they don't bring anything, if they don't return the favour, why would I ever do that? Who's going, what's, what's in it for me? Who's going to pay for their seat? Who's going to pick up their tab? And this is what Jesus draws into in his very last statement. He says, although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What he's talking about, God's going to pick up the tab. God is the God of hospitality. God is going to repay. They can't. 
But when the time comes, when Jesus returns and we're all raised from the dead and taken to heaven, heaven is described as a great banquet. And God is the host. And we can sit with God at his table. That's the great banquet. That's going to be worth it. People you invite, the beggars, won't be able to, but God himself will. And now things are starting to come together. They're starting to come together. Jesus has all along been describing and contrasting the God of hospitality versus this group of guys who think they're too good, think they're better than everybody else. See, what Jesus has done, he's outlined this whole dinner, is teaching them God is so different to their attitude because they're, they're all concerned about their status around their, the religious leaders. They're more important than anyone else. And even their status about being more important than everyone else is even at the cost of even saving their kids was the point Jesus was making. They care about their status. Their appearance, having the seats of honour, is more important to them because it shows them how worthy they are and they'll fight for it. They use hospitality. They use their guest lists to climb the ladder to show their status to show they've got friends in high places, that I deserve to be looking down on everybody else because I am one of the top dogs of the religious world. The scary thing is when we look at them and go, how bad is that? How crass is that? Is actually to go, actually, there's a lot of that we see deep down in our own hearts. We might not do exactly the same things as them, how they play out, but we do desire it. We want to be with the right crowds. We want to be looking good. We don't want to be with the people that no one talks to and nobody wants to hang out with. We actually make choices like that as well because we have that same bit of pride. But Jesus going, how's the God of hospitality? He's so different to this. See, Jesus himself, Jesus, son of God, leaves his high status behind. He's worthy to have the high status, the creator of the universe, the God over everything. He entered the world as a child, in humility, to some peasant poor parents. But he did it, he got to the bottom of the table, you might say, to save the children of God. He wasn't beyond, they were too busy keeping their seats at the top of the table to save their children. Jesus says, no, I'm going to the bottom of the table, I'm going to be humble, I'm not going to hang on to my pride and my position, but I'm going to save my children by doing that. He's going to pay the price for the outsiders on his table. See, Jesus lowers himself. And in doing so, in real terms, he takes on humiliation. This is the king of the universe. But yet, not only born to parents, hangs out with the poor people, but he takes on the sin and the shame of sinners. All the wrong things I've done, all the bad things I'm embarrassed about, he takes on the sinners the rejects of society, the outcasts. He takes that. Do you remember when he's on the cross, people were cursing him and spitting him because he's treated like a criminal? He took all that on for him, all our failures that he took on to the cross to give up his seat. He had the seat of honour. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That is the best seat of honour. But he'd given his seat up to take the lowest seat with the peasants, with the sinners so that we could have a position of honour. No one deserves to sit at God's table, but Jesus swaps the seats. Jesus becomes the outcast, but he does it for us. For, so we could sit there at the table. That's how Jesus is spinning the table around. That's why those who want high positions will get nothing. And those who come to the table humbly will get everything. The religious people will miss out. Ben and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but this word hospitality, it's the Greek word philozenia. Philozenia, it's two words joined together. Philo, meaning to love. Xenia, you might be familiar, xenophobic, means you're afraid of the stranger. Well, xena is the stranger bit, but philozenia is to love the stranger, love the foreigner. And you can't say that word hospitality without realising you've got to actually love someone outside your circles. It's not exclusive into your circles. Hospitality at the core is loving others outside. 
and God's invitation through Jesus is to come to the banquet. He sent his son Jesus into our world to invite us, to bring us in, to love us, the outsider. Now that's good news. It's good news if you go, I'm never worthy enough, I'm not cool enough for God, I'm not righteous enough, I'll never be there. Jesus saying, I have a way, trust in me, trust in my death and you have a seat at the table. But if we have the attitude to God, thanks for heaven, what can I bring? I can bring my good works, I can bring my righteous acts, I'm worthy, God actually, can I have a seat at the, ta- at the head? That's not going to cut it. If you think you can bring anything, that's even offensive to God, the host. That's why Jesus got so angry at his disciples. His disciples asked Jesus, hey, can we sit at your left and right? And all the other disciples started fighting. Who's going to sit at the left and right of Jesus? They wanted the place of honour. And Jesus was like, you don't get it. You don't get it. Come in humility. So there's a spiritual lesson about this in our attitude to God. And God is the God of hospitality. That he loves to have outsiders come to his table. And because of our sin, we are the outsiders. We are the ones unworthy. Trust in Jesus and we get there. But there's also a very practical lesson because you read this and Jesus does get very practical. Who do you invite to your meals? How do you practice hospitality? Because as we're trying to do in this uh, hospitality month, but also the culture in our DNA at Southside, we want to be a church of hospitality. That means that we show love to the outsider, the stranger. And even as Ben talked about, it, it doesn't mean you have to host people that's everybody outside the church. Actually, even within our church, we don't know each other that well, apart from our inner circles. Hospitality, getting to know people, loving them, is a part of who we are as children of God, because that's who our Father is. So let me encourage you, the hospitality month, great excuse just to walk up to somebody and say hey won't you come to my place i'm having an event for those people you don't know in church maybe you can still invite people outside the church to be a part of that too but make sure you expand your circles make sure you go beyond your comfort zone because we're not about clicks we're not about gathering you know people alike to us but loving the outsider that's a challenge I've got to say that's a challenge and I hope you take on that challenge as well. Let me pray. Dear Father God, just thank you that you are a God of love, a God that loves entertaining and you have that picture of heaven for us of a feast. Lord, thank you for the invitation. But Lord, I pray that you'd give us hearts that are humble, humble enough to realise that we aren't worthy and we shouldn't expect seats of honour but it's only through Jesus. That through trusting Jesus that you will take us in. Trusting Jesus, we get the invitation. By trusting Jesus, we get the seat at your table. Lord, help us to trust Jesus, not be puffed up in our own pride or or chasing or desiring to be one of the cool kids. But Lord, help us to be humble. But Lord, also help us to practice that in the way we talk to people within our church, within our work or at uni. Lord, help us to be that uh, one who acts in love to strangers, that shows concern, that genuinely wants to build friendship. And Lord, use us, Lord. Use us to show people your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.